Welcome to the Grace Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged and built up in your faith as we dive into God's Word together. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter number 15 and then 2 Chronicles 33. If you're joining us online on Facebook Live, I want to thank you for being a part of our service today online. Don't forget to leave us a a note. Let us know that you're watching with us today. We started a series last week, and I love the title even of this series. It's called Amazing Mercy. Amazing Mercy. Now, you've heard of Amazing Grace, right? We've sung Amazing Grace. Many of you have scriptures on grace. You've plastered things about grace on your social media pages. We've talked a lot about the grace of God. And perhaps I would say this as a church, as Christians, we don't talk enough about God's mercy. And here's our goal through this series, that we would maybe have a a deeper understanding of how wide, how deep, and how great is the mercy of God. So we started last week just talking about his amazing mercy. I don't know how many weeks we're going to go. But I do know we're going to talk a few more weeks about God's amazing mercy. I started with this scripture, and it's kind of a key scripture for this series, and it's in the book of Micah. I know a lot of you don't spend a lot of time in Micah. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's not minor in its importance. It's minor just in the size of the book itself. It's only a few chapters. And so the Lord is talking through the prophet Micah, And in this particular chapter, in chapter 6, he's chastising the children of Israel for the way that they were living. And then he's kind of talking to himself here, and he's saying, hey, how should you return to me? You're asking yourself, how should you return to me? Should you sacrifice? And this is what he says, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He's talking about himself. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And it's three things that you would do justly, that you would love mercy and walk humbly with God. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That you would do what's right, but then I love this next one, love mercy. And here's our goal through this series, that we would fall in love with mercy, maybe in a greater, greater degree than we ever have before understanding the mercies of God. Here's another chapter, another book, I should say, that you don't spend maybe a lot of time in, Lamentations. Now, you know the words if you spend any time in church because we've sung them a lot, but it's actually from a, a, a verse in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercies were not consumed, because his compassions they fail not. They are what? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. His compassions, they fail not. They're new every morning. Listen, when we decided to define mercy and grace, I've said this many times. I believe it. I still believe it. I still would define it this way. The difference between mercy and grace. You could say this, that mercy is not getting what you deserve. If you deserve something and the punishment is is withheld, that's the mercy, right? Mercy of God. And then you can say this, grace is getting something you don't deserve. If you're getting something you don't deserve, well, that's the grace of God. But I just kind of believe 
that it's not an either or with God. It's a both and. Come on now. That mercy and grace work together. In fact, I could say this, that you'll never find mercy without grace and you'll never find grace without mercy. Those two work together even though they're different. Listen, they work together constantly. In fact, I want to read you a scripture and I'll just put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it from Ephesians chapter 2. This is the New Living Translation, and it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now watch verse number four. I love this. But God is so rich in mercy. I said this. God is so rich in mercy. Let me try that one more time. I said, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace. Here's that mercy and grace working together. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. The very next verse says, it is by grace we're saved through faith. Amen? It's almost like when I was reading that verse, I'm like, where do I cut it off? I couldn't cut it off anywhere. It's so good. But I love this part. God is what? So rich in mercy. When I read it, my next question was this. How rich is he? Come on, have you ever heard that? That dog is so ugly. How ugly is he? Come on now. I was, that was the kind way of telling that joke. But I started to think about that because every time I see so rich, so ugly, so dumb, right? I, I, I think of, okay, what's the answer to the question? But God is so rich in mercy. How rich is he? Well, think about it like this. There's 7.7 billion people on earth. And every one of them get new mercy tomorrow. Come on now. Isn't that what it said in Lamentations? His mercies are new every morning. Does that include everybody? It includes the whole world. So that means tomorrow morning, he's got 7.7 doses of mercy ready to pour out. And guess what? The next day, did you hear me? I said the next day, he's got another 7.7 .7 billion. And the next day, there's another 7 billion. And it doesn't matter how big the world gets. It gets up to 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion. He's got enough mercy to go around every day for the rest of eternity. That's how much mercy God has. He is not just rich in mercy. He is so rich. Come on now. 
He is so rich in mercy, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what your past looks like, regardless of the sum total of all your mistakes. God's mercy is way bigger. He's got more mercy than your mistakes could ever handle. Amen? It's so much mercy, it just overwhelms all your failures, all your mistakes. Somebody give God praise for that. That's the mercy of God. He is so rich in mercy that I said last week, and this is so important for you to know, this is what mercy is. Mercy is restoration. See, it goes beyond just forgiveness. Mercy actually is restoration. I talked last week about how God restores us. It's the mercy of God, right? It's the mercy of God that restores us. But here's what I want to talk to you about today because we're going to take it a step further. Because it's not just restoration. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Mercy is actually renewed potential. Did you hear me now? I said mercy is renewed potential. Because some of you think that it just stops at restoration. You know, restoration can be, can be awesome, can be incredible, but some people think of restoration as something that is from yesterday, as going backwards. Like when we restore a, an old car, we restore it back to its original state. You go find parts from that year, and you go, and it looks just like it did in 1956 or 1973 or whatever year you pick, and so you restore it to look like it used to look. But that's not how God operates, because God's always thinking about the future. And we talked about a little bit during worship when we said this, he's not finished with us yet. Amen? God's not restoring you to go back to some place and time back way back when. And listen, he doesn't just wipe the slate clean so that you can sleep at night. He's thinking about tomorrow. He's thinking about what he has planned for you. He's thinking about your future. Listen, he pours out his mercy because he has a plan for you and for the rest of your life. Amen. It is always about your future. Amen. God's always looking forward. Amen? God doesn't just restore us as servants. God restores us as sons and daughters. Amen? Listen, one of my favorite parables we're going to read in just a moment from Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible today and you've turned to Luke chapter 15, many of you know this parable. You've studied it, and I could teach it over and over, week after week. I could read it and still get something incredible out of it. But Luke chapter 15 is dedicated to three parables. Parable of a lost sheep, parable of a lost coin, and then the parable of a lost son. The majority of the chapter takes takes place and talks about this parable of what we call the prodigal son. But I have to tell you, here's what is so important about the parables. This is why I love them. This is why I talk about them constantly. Because they're not true stories. Now you say, well, Pastor, why why is that important? That doesn't sound like it's a plus. No, here's why that's so important, and here's why that's incredible. Jesus is making up an earthly story to present a heavenly truth. Because it's a made-up story, that's why it's so important, so valuable, and so powerful. Because in making up a story, 
he is not limited to the facts of what already happened. Did you hear me now? He's not limited to the details of what actually took place. He gets to make up the details. Watch this. So in the parables, the details are important. Every word of every parable is incredibly important. Why? Because Jesus is actually telling a story. Now, there have been many prodigal sons, but this particular story he's making up, and you know the story, there's two sons. And listen, one of them comes to the father and says, hey, you know, I'd like my inheritance now. And we don't need to know what's going through the dad's mind. We already know. Listen, how many of you, you know your kids, right? You know which one's the spender. You know which one's the saver. I had a missionary over for dinner Monday night. He says to me in front of my 11-year-old, would it be okay if I give him some money? I'm like, well, you, you have to now. What, you want me to be the bad guy and say no? So I kind of pulled him aside, and he's, he's my best friend. He's a missionary in Belgium, Pastor Bill Schwartz. And he says, he says I want to give him some money. I'm like, okay, but not much, because I know this kid. How many of you know, you know your kids, right? And so he hands them $20, and I'm like, watch this. We hugged. That was kind of on the way out. He said goodbye, left the next day to go to, to back to Belgium, and I knew that that $20 was not going to last long, but I did not know that it was going to be a world record <laughs> of how fast it was spent. Because within 10 minutes, my son had something in the Amazon cart, and he's like, Dad, I'm ready. I'm ready. Can you go ahead and buy this for me? And it's that quick. Within 10 minutes, the $20 is gone, and that's him. So this father knew, man. He knew that this kid was going to go out and blow the money, and he did. The kid goes out. He blows all of the inheritance he got from his father, and he blew it on sin. He blew it on ungodliness. And when the money's gone, the friends are gone. And he's got no money, and he's got no friends, and he finds himself with a job feeding pigs, and he gets so desperate and so destitute that he actually starts to eat with the pigs. But then here's the details of the story. Remember I said the details are so important. The Bible says that the son comes to himself. He has this moment, and he says to himself, my father's servants live better than I'm living. I will go to my father, and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Watch this. Make me a hired servant. Make me just one of your servants. He actually gives his own consequences to his actions. And he doesn't know how his dad's going to respond, but he starts home. And he's walking home, and I think to myself that he's probably reciting that same speech. You know how kids do. They recite the speech. You know what I mean? Like, I got I to gotta say it, you know? And so he gets, and all of a sudden, his father sees him. The Bible says, from a long way off. Don't you love the details of the story? 
From a long way off, his father saw him, and he ran to him. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that this father fell on his neck, weeping. He kissed the boy. And I can imagine the emotions of that moment, and they're both crying, and they're both weeping, and it's an incredible reunion, but the son still has a speech to give. The son still has a confession to make. The son still wants to get the consequences of his actions out. And so he kind of pushes his dad off. He says, no, no, I got something to say. Dad, father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. Before he could ever get to the consequences, before he could ever finish his speech, the father interrupts him. Now, how many parents do that? Nobody. We always say, is that it? <laughs> Go ahead. You've got more. Come on now. Keep going. Is that all you have to say? No, no, no. This dad interrupted him. Right before he got to the consequences, he interrupts the confession. And he says to him, and watch this, Luke chapter 15, because this is so important. Verse 22, catch this. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now watch this. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. Bring out the best robe. That's powerful. Put sandals on his feet. That's an incredible detail. But I would argue that the most incredible detail in this verse is this, put a ring on his finger. Right? Put a ring on his finger. Because the ring on the finger is of the utmost importance. It's that detail in this made-up story by Jesus that we have to catch because the son just doesn't get sandals on his feet. He just doesn't get a robe on his back. He gets the authority that he used to have. He gets access to be able to buy and sell, access to be able to have transactions done in the family's name with a signet ring that is on his finger. It is the ring on the finger that is utmost importance because this isn't just restoring him back into father's house. He doesn't just get to sit at the table. He doesn't just get to enjoy the food. We talked about that last week. Listen, he actually gets all the authority that he has as a son. He gets all of that back again. It is the potential that's inside of them that gets renewed. Hallelujah. And what God is saying, listen, he's not just the God of a second chance. He doesn't just make us servants. He doesn't just bring us into the house and sit us at the table and bless us with stuff. He also gives us the authority because one verse you need to get, one verse you need to memorize is Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says this, for the gifts and callings of God, they're irrevocable. Did you hear me today? The gifts and callings of God, they're irrevocable. Now the King James actually says this, they're without repentance. Right? In other words, it means this. God never regrets what he deposited inside of you. Woo! Hallelujah. I said God never regrets. I said God never regrets. He never regrets what he deposited inside of you. Every failure, every mistake, 
every wrong choice, every sin, every addiction, every stronghold, everything that has dragged you down, God never regrets the gifts, the callings that are in your life. And in fact, here's what mercy does. Mercy restores you to a place, right, where he's ready to use you again and tap into the potential that never left you. I said that potential has never left you. Ooh, when I sing, God, you're not finished with me yet. I lift my hands because I know, listen, I've made mistake after mistake, wrong choice after wrong choice. I mean, I was in the gutter. Our marriage was a mess. But God picked us back up again. He didn't have to, and I certainly didn't deserve it. But he just said, Brian, I'm not finished with you yet. And all the gifts and the talents and the abilities inside of you, that calling is still there. Listen, the potential is still there. It's not just restoration to come sit and enjoy a few blessings and sing and lift your hands. It's I want to use you. I want you to fulfill your purpose, your destiny. I still got a plan for you. That's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. Listen, when I was on sabbatical for the month of July, I wanted to read books, but I didn't want them to be books that I would try to make sermons out of. I thought, no, I want to read books. In fact, I told a friend of mine in New York who sits on a board with me, I said, listen, I'm going to read biographies. I don't read a lot of biographies. I don't need enough biographies. I want to read biographies of dead people, people who have gone on. You know what I'm saying? People who have gone on. I want to read their story. And I picked up a biography of Chuck Colson. Now, if you've got a little gray in your hair, you might know who Chuck Colson is. Some of you might not. Let me just tell you about Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a brilliant man who ascended to the top of the ladder, man. He was a Navy guy and became a lawyer and ultimately went into the political field. And he became very instrumental in Richard Nixon's campaign, getting him elected and getting him reelected. He spent many days in the Oval Office in the White House. In fact, after Richard Nixon was reelected, he was immediately called to the White House, and they celebrated in the Oval Office, him, Richard Nixon, and their chief of staff. But it wasn't long after that that this scandal erupted known as the Watergate scandal. And Chuck Colson pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice. He's sentenced to seven months and spent seven months in an Alabama prison. And when he came out, he could have done a lot of things. This brilliant mind, this brilliant man that ascended to the top yet hit bottom. Went from the Oval Office to a prison cell. He could have done a lot of things. He could have went on the circuits. He could have went on tours. He could have done speeches. He could have written books just to make money. But instead, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And if you're part of Grace, you've known that for years. We spent years doing an outreach every Christmas called the Angel Tree Project. The Angel Tree Project is a ministry of Prison Fellowship where we come and we buy gifts for kids who have a mom or dad who's incarcerated just so that they're not forgotten at Christmas time. That was started by Chuck Colson. Do you know that prison fellowship 
is in 112 countries today. It's in all 50 states. They've ministered to countless hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of prisoners in the prison system, helping to reform and, and helping to, 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 to help parents and, and, and moms and dads and kids and all sorts of family members, but also to help these inmates who've hit rock bottom, give them hope, right? Chuck Colson started that. And he went on to be with the Lord about 10 years ago, but what an incredible life that he lived. And I thought about his life and I go, you know, that's not just restoration. That's the gifts and the callings of God, the potential inside of him being irrevocable, coming to pass. That's, That's God doing a work inside of him. That's Chuck Colson being who God created him to be. And if you're here today and you think, man, I've blown it, and God may allow me in church, but certainly he won't allow me to minister. And, and I've, I've blown it. I've made so many mistakes that maybe I could come and maybe I could lift a hand to heaven, maybe. But I know that I'll never be used by him again because of what I've done. I'm here to tell you that it's people like Chuck Colson and, and stories that we read about in the Bible that when we begin to understand the depth of his mercy, we begin to go, you know what? I believe God has a plan for my life still. And if you think you've fallen too far, I want you to think of one name. Are you ready? Here's one name I want you to get. It's a guy by the name of Manasseh. If you study the kings of Israel, you'll find that the most wicked king who ever lived in Israel's history is a guy by the name of Manasseh. His father was a godly man. His father was Hezekiah, built altars to the Lord, But Manasseh took over at 12 years old. He reigned for 55 years. He was the longest reigning king in Israel's history. He was also by far the most wicked. Every altar to the Lord that his father built, he tore them down. And he built an altar to a false god. In fact, the Bible says that he would actually sacrifice his own children. That's how wicked his heart was. That he would kill his own children and sacrifice them to God's. And when prophets would come to warn Manasseh and said, Manasseh, what you're doing is ungodly and God's judgment is going to be upon you, that when a prophet would come to warn him, he'd actually slaughter innocent people in response to the prophet. But you know, it just so happened that the Assyrian army came and God allowed Manasseh to be captured. And he was led. In fact, the Bible says they actually put hooks in his nose and they drug him all the way to prison. Now, if your Bibles today, I want you to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And here's something very interesting because the entire chapter just tells the story of Manasseh. But watch this. Verse number 12 says this. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him and received his entreaty. He received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I read this, and I went, wow, it really doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, look at all that he did. Should not 
there have been a little more pins? Shouldn't have, shouldn't have been a little more details around this? Like, are you sure that's all that happened? That, that Manasseh was able to have a jailhouse conversion? But then I began to think, is, is there really another kind of conversion? Listen, every conversion is a jailhouse conversion. Whether you're in prison or out. Because every one of us have to come to a place where we are realize we're empty, we're lost, we're without hope. Amen? Because if you didn't get saved that way, you didn't get saved. You had to at some point realize that I need forgiveness of my sin. And here is Manasseh in jail, in his affliction, the Bible says, he called upon God. That's how I called upon God. I was eight years old. I wasn't in prison. I wasn't in gross sin. But I still knew I was lost. It was still a jailhouse, if you will, conversion for me. I knew that I needed to be set free. And I called upon God, and Manasseh called upon God. And it just says this, God heard his prayer, God listened to him, and God restored back to him his kingdom. Wow, the most evil king to ever live, who slaughtered his own people, including his own children. That kind of wicked, wicked man gets restored? Yes. Did you hear me? Yes. And I don't care what you've done. You haven't done anything like Manasseh has done. That's the God that we serve. He is a God not just of restoration. He's a God of renewed potential. And if the devil has ever whispered in your ear, you've gone too far. You've blown it. I mean, there might be forgiveness for you, but there'll never be restoration. You'll never again fulfill the plan and purpose of God for your life. You could just maybe live a good Christian life, just quiet, just away, out of, the, out of ministry. I'm here to tell you that God can restore to you anything he wants to restore to you. He can renew anything inside of you he wants to. And I'm here to tell you that the gifts and callings of God are still there. They have never left, and they never will. I want to ask you to do this today. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to our Grace family who have been generously giving in to this ministry. For more information about our church, please visit gogracechapel.com and give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram with the same handle at gogracechapel. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.